guys. Happy Sunday. This is the Lord's Day. Did you know that? According to the Bible, Sunday is the Lord's Day. Now, for the Christian, every day is the Lord's Day because we are now the temples of the Holy Spirit. But there is something special and significant about Sunday. It was the day that uh, Jesus rose from the grave. Uh, it was the day that the early church began the tradition of starting to meet together on the first day of the week. And so this is good that we're here gathered together, worshiping with one another, fellowshipping, and of course, diving in to the word of God. Uh, I'm not sure if there are some that maybe have not been here over the last couple of weeks, but we have started a challenge called what? The Proverbs Challenge. Quite simply, trying, seeking to read one proverb that corresponds with the day of the month. So today is Proverbs chapter eight. And so we're gonna be teaching and studying Proverbs chapter eight today. Uh, but tomorrow we wanna continue and encourage you guys to uh, be, and you can put up the, the message title, uh, you guys to be reading it through it on your own. Uh, how many of you guys have uh, been participating in the challenge throughout the, this last week. Raise your hand. Okay, that's a good amount of you guys. That's awesome. Uh, how many, like, you missed a day or two? Okay, yeah, for sure. No, I, I, can, I can understand it. Um, listen, uh, we want you to just con continue to go through it. So maybe this is the first time you're hearing, you're like, proverb who and proverb what? Uh, Proverbs challenge. Uh, just start today. Uh, we're gonna be studying through chapter eight. We'd encourage you later on in the day to read through the chapter for yourself, taking maybe some notes that you have. Uh, and, then, and then tomorrow, when it's January 9th, guess what chapter of Proverbs you turn into? You, well, you don't turn into it, but you turn to it. Uh, turn to Proverbs chapter nine, read that, meditate, and let God speak to you. Uh, has there been, uh, anyone wanna share like a favorite chapter? What's been their favorite chapter out of the first seven? Yeah. Chapter two, yeah, it's a good one, right? That's, that's, that's where it shows that God is the ultimate giver of wisdom. Awesome. Any, any, uh, any other chapter or specific verse that maybe has stuck out to you guys? All right. Well, I want you guys to take some notes this week. I'm gonna ask you that same question on Sunday next week, and I want one of you to have a verse or something to share, something that God is speaking to you throughout the challenge, okay? Remember, because we're not just looking to gain knowledge, we're looking to grow in our walks with God. Now, I do wanna encourage you, those who have been participating in it or this upcoming week, those that maybe will join in, there are going to be things that don't completely make sense to you at first. Maybe for some of you, that you've never read through Proverbs. Well, uh, God's word is rich and deep, and while it is uh, straightforward to understand, uh, it takes some time to be able to understand everything, uh, and we will never on this side of eternity know everything. That's how deep the Bible is. But for now, don't focus on those things that you're like, I don't really understand what that means. That's okay. Spend a little time meditating. God can reveal it to you. But focus on the things that you do understand. Focus on those things that God is speaking to you. So then you take that and apply it to your life. Then you can ask that question of, okay, God, I don't understand this entire chapter, but this verse, but God, how does this verse apply to my life? Because we don't want to just be readers or hearers, but doers of the word. Cool? All right, Proverbs chapter eight, let's pray and we'll get into it. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day that you have made and God, we're gonna be faithful to be glad and rejoice in it. 
the fact that we have sight through our eyes, breath in our lungs, clothes on our back, for some of us, food in our stomachs, is all a sign of your goodness in our life. God, we know that every day is a gift, and we pray that today we would live it as such. And so, God, we look to you, pray that you would uh, be with us in the teaching of God's word, that you would speak to our hearts, that we might not just gain knowledge, but truly grow in this wisdom from above. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. amen. Okay, before we get into the actual verses, we, we need to, it is important that we understand a certain figure of speech, okay? So bear with me. I know it is 1030 in the morning, uh, but a little bit of uh, English class, if you will, a little bit of grammar. So have you guys ever heard of the term personification? That's a big term, but it simply means it, it is a technique used within figurative language that gives non-human objects uh, or concepts human characteristics. In essence, it gives something that does not have a personality and it gives it personality characteristics. Some examples would be that we use, uh, the sun smiled down on us. Now, when someone says that, do you, do you wonder like, does the sun have a mouth? No, you know, it's a figure of speech. It's a personification or the story jumped off the page. Did the story actually jump off the page? No, my flowers were begging for water. Were flowers actually speaking, saying, give me water? No. Then, or what about uh, time flies when you're having fun? Were there clocks that had wings? No, it's a figure of speech. And this entire chapter that we're looking at today is a personification, that of wisdom. An example of this in the Bible elsewhere is pretty early on in Genesis 4 when Cain kills Abel and God says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now, was there actually blood from Abel calling out to God saying, Cain killed me? No, but God uses a personification to really explain the weightiness of the situation. We found in the beginning uh, of chapter one, um, us beginning our series together, that wisdom was personified as a her. And it's not the fact that wisdom is actually a female and there's some lady named wisdom. No, remember, this is a figure of speech. Solomon is teaching about this wisdom from above and begins to give these certain personality characteristics and attributes to wisdom. Now, looking at the book of Proverbs and this personification of wisdom as a personality, when we look at it through the lens of the New Testament, it's hard not to see that this wisdom is really speaking of Jesus Christ himself. Now, we think this for a couple reasons, and one of the examples is in the book of John. See, the Bible says about itself that it is in the volume of the book that it is written of the Messiah, who we know is Jesus. Even Jesus said here in John 5, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. 
but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. So he says actually to some religious leaders, hey, you search the Bible for salvation, but what you don't realize is that the entire Old Testament speaks about me being Jesus. Now, in a moment, as we begin chapter eight, you are gonna see the call of wisdom. We're gonna read it in just a moment. We're gonna see how wisdom cries out and goes to these public places and bids for people to come. Now, even in this initial call, we're gonna see the, the um, parallelism to Christ, to Christ. Colossians chapter two, verse three says this, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The whom that Paul is speaking about here is Jesus. In Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Essentially, Jesus is the very essence of the wisdom from above. He is, according to the New Testament, the wisdom of God. So what's really cool about being New Testament believers is that knowing the New Testament, we get to, in a sense, put on our New Testament Jesus glasses and look back at the book of Proverbs and be able to understand it more deep, fuller, if you will. And so let's do that as we uh, are going to break up this chapter into four parts. Okay, The first part is in the first 11 verses, verses 1 through 11. And we're going to find wisdom's words, wisdom's words, or the words of wisdom. Verse 1, I'll be reading down to verse 11. Does not wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice? She takes her stand on top of the high hill beside the way where the paths meet. She cries out by the gates at the entrance of the city, at the entrance of the doors. To you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O you simple ones, understand prudence, and you fools be of an understanding heart. Verse 6. Listen, for I will speak of excellent things, and from the opening of my lips will come right things. For my mouth will speak truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are with righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. They are all plain to him who understands, and right to those who find knowledge. Receive my instruction and not silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies, and all things one may desire cannot be compared with her. So chapter 8 opens up quickly, and we find out that wisdom is not something that is passive, but is active. Notice, look in your Bibles. You got to look along with me today. She says, it says here, Solomon says that she, being wisdom, remember that personification, cries out, lifts up her voice. Now, is there actually someone called wisdom going to the high hills, the gates, and entrances of cities and calling out to men? No. Remember, we are talking about a personification, but it does point to someone who has a public call. Wisdom's call is not hidden, but cries out to all who are willing to listen. Is this not also Jesus's call, public and out there for anyone who would listen? Do you guys remember when Jesus would say during his ministry, he who has ears to hear, let him hear? 
We had a little ding, perfectly, perfectly matched up with that. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's try that one more time. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, was Jesus wondering if there were some people following him that didn't have ears? No, it wasn't a concern of ears, but who was listening? Who was willing to listen? His message went out to everyone. That's why he said things like this in John 7, 37. He said, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. You see, we see the parallelism here between wisdom and Jesus. Jesus's coming was not private. It was public. When he started his earthly ministry, uh, when he was 30 years old, he went to anyone and everyone. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, he would actually say, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, this is the call of Christ. It's not just for a select few. It's not just for those that Jesus likes. It is for everyone and anyone, and so is the call of wisdom. No one is forbidden to come. John 18, 20, when he was unjustly arrested, we're told that Jesus answered them, him, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet, and in secret, I have said nothing. Jesus's goal was not something for a private few, but the public all. His coming was public for all to hear and see. He has gone down in the pages of history, even outside the Bible. That's why we can go to other resources historically and find that Jesus lived. We can find information about his life, about his death, about what they claimed regarding his resurrection. It's not just biblical history. It is history itself. Now, Jesus said, though, that many are called and few are chosen. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Many are called, few are chosen. Now, why is that? Is that because God only selects a few? No, the invitation goes out for all, but some don't listen and respond. Some won't listen and respond. Hebrews 12, 25 says this about Jesus. See uh, about God and it says, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. See, God speaks, and God speaks from eternity, not just within uh, his invisible attributes that the Bible says are clearly seen, but he has spoken specifically through the word of God, which, of course, is the wisdom of God. Now, what we also find in this section is, is verse nine. I want you to focus for a moment on verse nine. And I know we're going quickly through this and that's for the sake of us being able to finish the chapter together and see the overall point of the chapter eight of Proverbs. Now look at verse nine. Let's spend a couple moments on this under the words of wisdom. We're told that wisdom's words are plain to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Now, this is true of the Bible in general. The words of wisdom, which are ultimately the word of God, words of God are plain to him who understands. Everyone says, say plain. Now, plain, when I say plain, I don't mean like an airplane. 
Uh, the word plain here means straightforward. It's not just simple, but it's straightforward, meaning that the Bible doesn't have hidden messages. While there are some portions and passages that are more complex, especially when you get into Bible prophecy and eschatology, but when you take the time to study, nothing in the Bible is secretive in the sense that you need like a secret codex to decipher. I don't know if you guys have ever seen National Treasure, but it's not like you need to, uh, you know, come up with some like number. You need to add certain chapters together and there's some between the lines type of thing. No, it is rather straightforward. It's rich and deep, but it's straightforward. Wisdom says what it means and means what it says. Now, there are those, though, that claim that they don't understand what God is saying. Now, that isn't due to the word of God being confusing and unclear, but it has to do with how that person approaches the word of God. Someone once said that the word of God, the wisdom of God is open to the open person and is reasonable to the reasonable person. So if you approach the Bible closed, meaning you're like, you, you come to it in a way that you have already made up your mind about what, who God is or if God is real, then the Bible is going to be closed to you. But if you are willing to come to him and to his word with an open and humble heart, God says, you will find. The Bible says that he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. So in a sense, if you come to the Bible proud, it shuts itself on you. But if you come to the Bible humble, God says, I have much to give you. Deuteronomy 30 verse 11 says, for this commandment, which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. There are definitely passages that are more difficult than others, but the overall message of the Bible is simple and straightforward. The New Testament would call it the simplicity of Christ. It is so simple that sometimes people reject it. You mean all I have to do is put my faith and trust in Jesus, give him my life, confess my sins, and dedicate my life to him, and all my sins are forgiven, I don't go to hell, and I get heaven? That's too easy. And some people have that mindset. They come to it and they say, no, I got to do something. But the Bible, the gospel, is simple and straightforward. Now, at the end of this section, look at verse 10. Solomon states that this wisdom that we're talking about is not just something to be heard, but it is something to be received. He says, receive my instruction. This is wisdom talking. It's to be taken and chosen above anything this world has to offer, like riches. Listen, the Bible does not promise you that if you trust in Jesus, you will be rich. Now, there are parts of wisdom about money management that can certainly have a financial benefit and blessing on your life. And God ultimately is the giver of all good things. But while the Bible doesn't promise you to be rich, it does promise to enrich your life. Jesus said that I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly, meaning to live life as it, as it should be lived. 
Now, these are wisdom's words. But after this, we find wisdom's way in verses 12 through 21. Wisdom's way. I'll read it to you. Starting in verse 12. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Counsel is mind and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles, all the judges of the earth. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently will find me. Verse 18, riches and honor are with me, enduring riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold. Yes, than fine gold and my revenue than choice silver. I traverse the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of justice that I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth, that I may fill their treasuries. This section opens up telling us that wisdom dwells with prudence. Look at verse 12 in your Bibles. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. Now, this idea to dwell is to live with one another. We have here connection, wisdom and prudence. They are linked together. But what is prudence? Well, someone once defined prudence as wisdom applied or wisdom applied to practice, applied wisdom. Now, true wisdom will always lead to action and and prudence is wisdom in action. And you can't have one without the other. If you have wisdom without prudence, then all you really have is knowledge. These two things are like a two-sided coin. There's no such thing as a one-sided coin. Even if it has the same face, it has two faces. And the concept of wisdom and prudence, they go together and they cannot be separated. Wisdom is not something that is theoretical or simply intellectual, but it's something extremely practical. In other words, wisdom works. And one of the ways that wisdom works and is then practically lived out in our lives, one of the fruits of that will be us hating evil. Notice verse 13, the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge is to hate evil. So one of the first ways, paths, works that wisdom will take you down will be that you'll begin to hate evil. You know, sometimes we think about hating as, as a sin. Now, in general, that is true, but not always. Sin, when it comes to hate, depends on what is being hated and how it is being treated. But we know that God, while God is love, God also has things that he hates. Did you know that? God hates certain things with more passion and emotion than you and I can even imagine. Do you guys remember from day six, Proverbs six, we found out seven things that God hates or are an abomination to him. Look at verse 17, seven things, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, hates it, Feet that are swift and running to evil, hates it. A false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among brethren. And these are just seven. God hates evil because he knows what it brings. He knows what it produces. Nothing but pain, misery, and death. 
And you and I, as followers of God, we are to be godly. We are to be godly. But what does that mean? It means to be like God. Not in position, but in quality and in characteristics. Psalm 97.10 and Romans 12.9 give us this direction. It's not just something reserved for God, but you and I should have an attitude of hate towards evil. Now, how we go about that must be uh, tempered with other biblical directions. You never want to take one verse and then be this crazy person who sees something evil. Uh, but the Bible does say we're to expose the unfruitful works of darkness. Psalm 19, 7, 10 says, you who love the Lord, you love the Lord, hate evil. Romans 12, 9, abhor what is evil. This means to hate. And it's important that we understand that that's one of the first works or ways of wisdom. That's how it practically looks, that we live a life I mean, think about your life. Do you live a life that practically portrays hating evil or is it something you celebrate? You know, we can all be convicted of watching things on TV that God hates, right? Music that we listen to that talk about things that God hates. Now, not that we need to be legalistic, but if we're gonna walk in wisdom, these are one of the things that we're gonna walk in. I want, then I want you to put, point your attention to verse 17 in this section. Look at verse 17. I love those who love me. This is wisdom still talking, the personified wisdom. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently will find me. Now, when I first look at that, it's kind of funny, right? I love those who love me. Well, if wisdom, if this is really personified of Jesus, then does Jesus say the same thing? And, and the and the truth is absolutely. Jesus, you could say Jesus loves those who love Jesus. You're like, wait, what do you mean? I thought Jesus loves everyone. Absolutely. But does everyone experience the love of Jesus? No, because some simply don't want it. You see, it is those who seek wisdom and love wisdom that will experience the benefits of it. The call already went out in the beginning. Remember, wisdom called and cried out to anyone that would come. But listen, not everyone answers the call. And when we think about Jesus, this is true. Jesus loves every person ever created, but to experience his love is only reserved for those who respond and receive him. Listen, it is biblically true that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for every single person to have ever lived and will ever live. Sins are taken care of, put on Jesus. But is everyone gonna experience the benefits of what Jesus did on the cross? No, only those who respond and receive. Jesus and wisdom will never force Jesus will never force his love upon someone. But to those who diligently seek him, seek wisdom with intentionality, going out of your way, this is something that, that breaks routine, then God says, you will find me. Hebrews eleven six says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God, what kind of faith does this person have? Must believe that he is. You gotta believe in God. But secondly, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This is the way of wisdom. Only loving on those who love wisdom. 
If you don't want it, you won't have it. If you don't want Jesus, you will spend an eternity away from him. But truly, this wisdom from above is better than anything this world has to offer. That's why this, this, the author, Solomon, has been talking about choosing wisdom above rubies and silver and gold. That is not just talking about wealth, but really anything the world has to offer, this wisdom is far better. It is enduring riches that don't just last here, but for the life to come. All right, we've looked at wisdom's words, wisdom's way. Now let's take a look at wisdom's wonder, the wonder of wisdom. I'll start in verse 22. You guys good? Still following? Okay, have your Bibles open. Look at verse 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way, before his works of old. I have been established from everlasting, from the beginning, before there was ever an earth. Listen closely. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. Excuse me. While as yet he had not made the earth or the fields or the primal dust of the world. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, I was there. When he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master craftsman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and my delight was with the sons of men." It's in this section that it becomes really clear that this wisdom personifies Jesus himself. Notice the wonder of this wisdom. It started before the very start of time, before his works of old. We're told that it was established from everlasting. That wisdom says, I was there before Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth when time, space, and matter were created in a moment's instance by God. Wisdom says, I was there before it all. We're even told that wisdom rejoiced, rejoiced before him and rejoiced in his inhabited world. How is this possible that a concept, a quality like wisdom could pre-exist time itself? Because we're talking about Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, the Son of God, who lives outside of time but came into time. Now, with those New Testament glasses on, we must look at John chapter 1. If, as you grow in in being a student of the Bible, this should be a passage that comes to mind when talking about creation. John 1 verses 1 through 4 says, In the beginning uh, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Now, who is the Word of God? That is Jesus. This is one of the titles of Jesus, is that he is the Word of God. And that is his, one of his titles, because when Jesus came into the world, 
He spoke as a human. He spoke, and every word he spoke was the words of God. And we know from the beginning that how God created everything was by Jesus. And think about it. Do you remember when God says, let there be light? He spoke creation into existence. There was only one part of his creation that was handcrafted, that you could stamp handmade. Do you know what that was? No, it was us. Ultimately, it was, it was Adam. And then later on, and then later on uh, that day, Eve. But he fashioned and, and formed. But everything else was spoken, was spoken into existence. It was by the word of God or by Jesus himself that all three members of the Trinity, the Godhead, were involved with the creation of the world. Ephesians 3.9 says, And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created, what does it say? All things through Jesus Christ, all things. And then finally, Colossians 1, verses 15 through 17. Just get the reference down. He is the image of the invisible God, speaking about Jesus, firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things, everyone say all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. You see, with what we know about Jesus and creation, it is abundantly clear that Proverbs 8 is talking about the Son of God. He was there. Before Genesis 1-1, Jesus existed. His starting point was not Bethlehem. There was no starting point. He is from, established from everlasting. And so without a doubt, this displays the wonder of wisdom in creation. And finally, we come to the fourth and final section, wisdom's worth, the worth of wisdom. Notice with me verse 32. We'll read to the end of the chapter, verse 36. Now, therefore, listen to me. He comes to a conclusion. He says, listen to me, my children, for blessed are those who keep my ways Hear instruction and be wise and do not disdain it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, watching at the posts of my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me wrongs his own soul. All those who hate me love death. So he comes to this conclusion. Wisdom personified comes to a point, comes to a point of what we're going to find is a decision. But notice with me, we're, we're told the results of, of God's wisdom. It's not just something to be learned, but it is something to experience. And the result of walking in God's wisdom, the worth of it is the blessing of God. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Blessed is the man who listens to me. See, the implication here is not only to hear, but to live out wisdom. And we know biblically, this is the key to blessing. You want to experience life as it should be, favored and blessed by God? Then wisdom is the way. But not just in knowledge. You see, 
the, the teaching of the Bible is not just to be intellectual, is not just to increase learning, but as I said before, it is in the doing. John 13, 17, Jesus speaking uh, at the last night that he's spending with the disciples, the last supper. And after all the things that he told them, he finally tells them this, if you know these things, he says, blessed are you if you do them. Listen, one of the dangers, everyone look at me, boys, look at me, look at me, everyone eyes on me. All of you who have grown up hearing about Jesus, you have believing parents, amazing, blessing from God. You've grown up in church, awesome. But one of the dangers is that you have it all up here and nothing in here. And how can you tell if it's in here? It's because it will be lived out through your life. Your head can get really big without it ever falling to your heart. How do, you know, how, how do I know? I can't see my heart. Do I go to like the doctors and try to get an x-ray? Nope. Is your life looking like Jesus? One of the dangers is that you can begin to know a lot. You know the answers. In a small group time, you could, you could, you could give the answers better than other people, but, but what is your life? Does it look like the wisdom from God's word? We must take heed to that because the blessing, the benefit, listen, the benefit of wisdom and following Jesus is not found in the knowing. There are going to be many people that find their self, themselves in hell who know the gospel, but rejected it by their lives. They might have confessed it with their mouth. They might have raised their hand in an altar call or went up to the front and received, uh, supposedly received Jesus, but their life, there was no reality. There was no action. It didn't change them. It didn't impact them. And this is the reality that, that, the, that wisdom concludes with. Notice the last two verses. Look in your Bibles, 35 and 36. Give this sharp contrast that those who find me, wisdom said, finds life. But he who sins against me, and how do you sin against wisdom? By rejecting it. How do you sin against God? What's the only sin that God can't forgive? It's the, it's the sin of rejection, the sin of unbelief. And if you do that, you are wronging, look at verse 36, you wrong your own soul. It means that you act violently against your eternal soul. All those who hate wisdom and hate Jesus, they love death, not by their words. They would never say they love death, but by their actions, they do. This chapter concludes with a decision. And the choice is truly a matter of life and death. Everyone look at me. It is impossible to be neutral when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to wisdom. Some of you are seeking to live neutral lives. You're living on the fence. And it appears that you're not really one way or the other, but really you are not with him. Jesus said, if you are not with me, he who is not with me is against me. First John says something very similar to what we're looking at and parallels here. And he says, this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. It's black and white. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. You see, in the end, it'll be black and 
and white. Or as the Bible will say, it'll be the sheeps and the goats. It'll be those you will either be one of his or not. And if you have Jesus, you have life. And if you don't have him, you don't have life. And there's no greater wisdom than the wisdom to receive the one who is the very essence of all wisdom, Jesus. I want to close our time today with a story that illustrates the truth of the reality of an indecisive life. There was a large group of people gathered. On one side of the group stood a man. It was Jesus. And on the other side of the group was someone else, and it was Satan. And separating between them was a fence. Both Jesus and Satan began calling to people in the group. One by one, each having made up his or her mind, went either to Jesus or to Satan. This kept going for a time, and soon enough, Jesus gathered around those who came to him, a group of people, and left. And so Satan did the same. But there was one man who joined neither group. He couldn't decide. So what did he do? He sat on the fence. And for hours and hours, he contemplated and went back and forth and made pros and cons lists. And hours went by and he just couldn't decide. And so he just sat on the fence. Now, as this man sat, Satan came back looking for something that he appeared to have lost. The man said, have you lost something? Satan looked up straight at him and said, nope, come with me. The man said, but I, but I sat on the fence. I chose neither him nor you. But Satan replied, he said, that's okay. I own the fence. Now it's just a story. It's not true, but the truth of it is true. To be undecided is to be decided. He who finds Jesus finds life. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Listen, God isn't far today. The simplicity of the gospel is simple. You have him, you have life. You don't have him, you don't have life. How do you know if what you know has gone from your head to your heart, it'll be through your life? And today, if that's something unsure or uncertain, then you call upon the name of the Lord. It is in the name of Jesus that you will be saved. The Bible says that there is no other name given among men under heaven that by which men must be saved. If you're trusting in anything else, it's gonna be for nothing. And so today, get off the fence. Go with Jesus. Talk to him. Call out to him. He hears. You see, the distance between you and Jesus, it doesn't have to be far. The Bible says that if you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. As soon as you turn and you're ready to follow him, he's right there to meet you. But you got to turn. Remember, just like wisdom, wisdom will not force itself upon you and Jesus will never force you. But he cries out, the call is clear. Come to me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the wisdom of Proverbs.
God, we thank you for the insight that we have knowing the New Testament. Lord, the key that unlocks the truth in the old. God, and we know that it truly is in the volume of the book that it's written of you. There's not a page that we turn in the Bible that we get away from Jesus because at the end of the day, that's who it is all about. The name above every other name. The name that we're gonna be singing about for all eternity. The name in whom lies the greatest power known to man. The power to redeem, the power to save from the pits of hell and the power of darkness. There's no other name. It's not in Susie or Bob or Gabriel or James or John or any other name. It's all about Jesus. And that's the name we want to sing about. That's the name that we want to trust in. Lord, there's going to be a day that we know that all of us stand before you. Some at different types of judgments. And Lord, we know that the only ticket in, in a way, is Jesus. You died for everyone. All man's sin. But we know that we can only experience the benefit and the blessing of the cross as we call on Jesus's name. And so that's what we do today, Lord. I pray for anyone in here that's been on the fence, God, that you would draw them off of it, that they would jump two feet in, ready to follow Jesus today. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and close our time in worship.